0: So, we've had 12 sessions so far, contrasting different aspects of the Old and New Covenants. And uh, it's very important that these things don't remain with us as theories or as Bible studies. But we go through them again, and like I said, everything we studied so far are just like a a starter to initiate your thinking more along that direction. So today I want to speak on uh, Matthew 5, 6 and chapter 5 and 6 where one of the big differences between Old Covenant and New Covenant is in the Old Covenant the emphasis was on the external, Except for the Tenth Commandment, all the Nine Commandments are external. And uh, nobody could keep the Tenth Commandment in the Old Testament because that was an inward commandment, you shall not covet or you shall not lust. And Paul himself says in Romans 7, he couldn't keep it. Nobody could keep it. Even when the Lord spoke to the rich young ruler, told him, keep the commandments in Mark 10, he listed the commandments up to number 9. He never mentioned the 10th because Jesus knew that nobody could keep that. So in the Old Covenant, everything was external. The sacrifices were external. The temple was external. The priesthood offering, everything was external. But it all got switched in the New Covenant to internal. So if you, now we've got to make this practical. If you are more interested in your external testimony before men than in your inward testimony before God, you have to say to yourself, I am an old covenant Christian, perhaps, but an old covenant Christian. A new covenant Christian will be much more interested in his inner thoughts than his external words and actions, will be more interested in his inner attitudes to people rather than just being nice to them, and his inner motives, rather than just in what he does, his motive in what he does. And that's why a new covenant Christian will constantly judge himself, not just, oh, I got angry, but, Lord, is there the inner attitudes in me which cause this? So when Jesus spoke here in Matthew 5 and verse 20, he said your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now when we think of surpass, we think of more than. More than in what way? If they prayed three times a day, do we pray five times a day? If they fasted twice a week, do we fast three times a week? Is it, if they gave 10%, do we give 20%? This is how many people understand it, more than. But I think God hides His truth from those who are not sincerely seeking Him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And when we diligently seek Him, we realize that this surpassing is not in the quantity, but rather in quality of our life. So the new, Old Covenant was an emphasis on quantity. How much do you give? How much do you pray? How much do you fast? And in the New Covenant, it is the quality in all these things. But think of these, when Jesus said, your righteousness must surpass, he then amplified it by giving a number of examples in chapter 5 and 6. For example, in the Old Covenant, it was external, verse 21, don't commit murder. In the New Covenant, it is internal, you must overcome your anger. And it's a different way in which the Lord says, the Old Covenant was, thou shalt not. But Jesus doesn't say, thou shalt not get angry. That's not the spirit of the New Covenant. And any preacher who preaches in that spirit is preaching an Old Covenant spirit. It is not, thou shalt not. The Lord, in the New Covenant, it is always, if any man, if any man. That's not found in the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant, it is, you've got to do this, whether you like it or not, if you're a Descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a part of Israel, you've got to do this. So there's this difference. Anger, for example, that he speaks is an inward thing from which murder comes. When a person wants to murder somebody, it originates with anger and Jesus is dealing with the root. You remember that John the Baptist said, the axe is now laid to the root. The Messiah has come, the Lamb of God has come, and he's laid to the axe to the roots. So in that sense, we can say the old covenant was like a pair of scissors, If a bad fruit came out like murder, cut it off, or adultery, cut it off. And uh, you do it after it's happened, or you prevent people from happening on the outside, but the root remains. But Jesus came with an ax to the root to remove not the murder, but the anger. And not, verse 27, the adultery, but the thought within that comes forth in adultery. Uh, Anger, for example, if you see in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 9, anger dwells in the heart of a fool. So one mark of a fool is he's got anger in his heart. Anybody here who's got anger in his heart? The Bible says you're a fool. You may not like to be called that, but that's what the Bible says, Anger dwells in the heart of a fool. And in Matthew 5.22, it says if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty. That means it's just in your heart. It hasn't come out. Anger in the heart against a person, against your husband, against your wife, against a brother, against a sister for something he did or something he didn't do, whatever it is, if you have anger in your heart, you are a fool. And when that anger comes forth in words, that's the next stage. You say something to your brother, Matthew five twenty one. Then you're even more guilty. And then if you think about it a little more and then you say, no, I haven't told him enough, and you go back and tell him something more. Verse 22, you're ready to be condemned to hell. Now, that wasn't there in the Old Testament, that if you get angry, you can ultimately end up in hell. I always say anger is the first of three steps to hell. Starts in the heart, comes out with some words, and then after some time you meditate on it, and you think, well, I haven't told him enough, and you go back and say some more words. We've all had experiences of this. You're ready for help. And it can happen between husband and wife. I tell you, the vast majority of so-called Christian husbands and wives are not in the New Covenant. They live in the Old Covenant, and they are satisfied to live in the Old Covenant, because they never get rid of their anger. I said, those are people, it's pointless learning 10 points or 12 points or 14 points about the New Covenant if you're not serious about getting rid of it. We have to say, Lord, I don't care if I can't understand this or explain it. I want to live it. So this is the first part of it. It is inward. It's uh, an inward righteousness and not an external righteousness and that is the one mark of the difference between old and new. For example, he speaks about speaking the truth. In the Old Covenant, it said, when you put your uh, swear in a court, you must speak the truth. And, see, and the Lord says, no, not when you swear, all the time. Your yes must be yes, and your no must be no. In other words, you've got truth in the inward parts. And then when it comes to chapter 6, to money, again, the emphasis in the Old Covenant was on quantity. That's the other way we can say it, you know, inward and outward, or quantity versus quality. It's not how much you give. Jesus said, when you give, don't let anybody know about it. Whereas in the Old Covenant, they had to prove that they were bringing 10% and give it publicly before everybody else. And we can see the multitudes of Old Covenant churches today, where people are forced to give it publicly, and even with envelopes with their name written on it, or they used to bring a bag in the olden days, but you could fool people if you put an empty hand inside the bag. So now they discovered a new way where they bring a plate. You can't fool people with that because everybody sees, the chap sits next to you, sees how much you're putting in. This is the cleverness of Pharisees who have not understood the ABC of the New Covenant. And they are trying to build a New Covenant church. Impossible. It's quality. It's the quality Of your giving, not the quantity. It's not 10% or 20% or 30%. It is, why do you give? Money is not evil. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Jesus earned money as a carpenter, and that was not evil. To make a commission in your business is not evil. When Jesus made tables, for example, he didn't sell it for cost price. This is how much the wood cost, because if he sold it for cost price, he'd earn nothing. He had to earn a commission on the cost of the material in order to support his family. But he didn't love money. That's the point. It's the attitude towards it that matters. In fact, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So here he speaks about money, He speaks about inner attitude and righteousness, And in money, not quantity, but quality. And then he speaks about praying. There again, that is the second thing. he's. First of all, in money, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And then he speaks about praying. In praying also, in the Old Testament, it was a question, how much you prayed? Uh, A lot of emphasis on, on that. But in the New Covenant, it is not how much, but the quality. See, but unfortunately, even you read... about New Testament saints who spent two hours in prayer and four hours in prayer. I used to read that as a young person, and I'll tell you, it only discouraged me. Every time I read that about somebody who spent two hours in prayer, four hours in prayer, and Jesus spent all night in prayer. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in it. But I say, if you let people know how much you're praying, something is wrong. How how did people know you were praying for two hours or four hours? These so-called great saints, how did they know that they were praying for four hours every day or two hours every day? They're disobeying what it says here, that nobody should know how much you pray. And people ask me sometimes, and I say, you want me to disobey scripture? Is that what you're asking me to do? It must be secret. Nobody must know. I mean, you can't help your wife or children knowing about it. But other than that, nobody should know. And the emphasis in the New Testament, if you ask me, how much does the New Testament speak about how long you should pray? Do you know? It tells us in the New Testament exactly how many hours a day you should pray. Do you know that verse? Luke 18, verse 1. How many hours a day should you pray? It's written specifically. There are two verses. One is Luke 18, verse 1. How many hours a day? 24 hours. That's what Jesus said. Now, what does the Holy Spirit say in 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17? It tells us the number of hours we should be praying every day. What is it there? 24 hours. Pray without ceasing. So, why do you get fascinated with people who say four hours and two hours? The guy who prays for four hours is praying one-sixth of the time that he should be praying. You either follow scripture or you follow the testimonies of so-called great men of God. I tell you, it's amazing how many Christians would rather read a biography and follow that than scripture. So I said, I don't care how many people pray 10 hours a day. I want to follow scripture which says you must pray 24 hours a day. Now what does that mean? Then you got to seek God and say, does it mean he wants us to be on our knees 24 hours? Obviously not, because Jesus Himself was not like that. So I meditated on this and I said, How can I pray without ceasing at all times? So you know, Jesus always used illustrations, and I I find that my mind works, understands things better when I use an illustration. So I ask myself, what is it I do 24 hours without ceasing? It's not eating, it's not drinking. What is the one thing you do 24 hours without ceasing? Breathing. So I saw my prayer life must be like my breathing. Not always conscious. Are you always conscious when you're breathing? No, you're fast asleep and you're breathing. So prayer must be a way of life with me where I'm always in that spirit of communion with God. In other words, it's like these walkie-talkies that police officers have which always on. It's not always a message for them, but it's always on, all the time. Sometimes it may be a message for them. Maybe 20 hours a day, there's nothing. Or maybe once in a day, for one minute, a message comes. But it must be on all the time. So that is uh, one aspect of prayer I learned. It's not quantity, but the quality. And the other thing I learned in relation to prayer is I thought of one place where it says, "Jesus prayed all night." Luke chapter six and verse I think it's verse 12, verse 12, Luke 6:12. He went off into in the mountain, he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And uh, that was a time of prayer. So I was thinking in seeking to follow in Jesus' footsteps. What exactly was he? doing those all night means say what 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning 10 hours what was he doing was he telling God this and that and the other and saying God give me this father give me this and give me that you know like a lot of people's prayers is a shopping list like a wife can tell her husband or wife husband tells a wife to go with this and buy these things she goes to the shopping mart and gets things a shopping list and a lot of people that pray to god is this do this do this do this do this this for me and for my child here and this my child needs this and help this child here and help my husband here or help my wife here it's a shopping list and i cannot believe that jesus spent all that whole night giving a shopping list to the father i need this i need this and not at all so i began to think um prayer is communication If I'm speaking to a very godly man who is a hundred times more godly than me, tell me, will I speak more or will I let him speak more? You tell me. Definitely, I'll let him speak more because he's more godly than me. I would speak two minutes in an hour and he'd speak 58 minutes. If he's much younger than me, I'll speak 58 minutes and let him speak two minutes. So when you pray to God and you talk more, telling him all the things you want to tell him, and you have hardly any time to listen to what he's saying, you think God is inferior to you. No wonder your prayer life is so shallow. The first thing you need to recognize is God is far superior to you. A million, millions of times we need to be listening more than talking to him. What is it that you can tell God that He doesn't know? Can you think of anything? What is it that you have a great burden for, which God doesn't have a burden for? Is there some sickness in your family that God's not interested in healing? We have so many wrong concepts of God because we're our thinking is old covenant. We don't seek to follow Jesus. We don't seek to understand what is prayer. Prayer is essentially I believe, more listening, more than telling God what we need. Seeking the kingdom of God first. Lord, let me listen. Okay, turn with Isaiah in chapter 50. Isaiah 50, and we read the example of Jesus. A prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus, which was fulfilled in his life. It says in Isaiah chapter 40, in the middle of verse 4, The Lord God wakens me morning by morning, and He wakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So, when Jesus was woken up in the morning, or whenever He woke up in the morning, He believed the Father woke Him up. I like to think of it like that that when I wake up in the morning, my Father has woken me up. What for? He's woken me up to listen to Him. Before I listen to anything else. And when it says listen, it is not just that he's, Jesus had a 15 minute quiet time with the Father, listening and the rest of the time he did what he wanted. No. I believe it meant that his ear was woken up in the morning and it was awake the whole time. Like the walkie talkie, all the time on. Anytime God wants to speak, he can speak. Like that police officer's walkie talkie. He's not going on all the time with a message to him, but every now and then there may be a message. He must be alert. And that's how it has to be. We can do our work. You can work in the kitchen. You can work in the office. You can be driving. You can do anything, but your walkie-talkie must be on. That you must be always alert to let God speak to you. This is the only way you can pray at all times. There's, there's no understanding of this in the Old Testament. It's quality, not quantity. Remember this. It's not outward, but inward. New Covenant is an inner life, not an outer life. And if we begin in the inside, thoughts, attitudes, motives, and set those things right, the outward will become okay. But if we don't settle those things, we will be first-class hypocrites who are living an apparent New Covenant life on the outside, but a completely different life, not only on the inside, but a completely different life even in your home because other people can't see it. So I want to say this is one of the most important things of the New Testament is evaluate your life by how much inner attitudes and your private life mean more to you than your external testimony before men. If your external testimony means a lot to you and not your inward attitude, you're going to get a big surprise at the judgment seat of Christ because it says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse... 5. The reason why we should not judge other people now, judge in the sense of condemn them. We must discern. There's a lot of difference between discernment and condemnation. Judgment can mean discernment. We need that. Judgment, condemnation, no, zero. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, don't pass judgment on people. That means don't condemn them uh, just because you see something externally in them. Uh, because when God, when the Lord comes, he will show you a couple of things that you don't know about that person. One, verse 5, the things hidden in darkness. All the things that that person did in the dark. In the dark means where nobody could see him. When he was locked up in a room or in his home where other people in the church knew nothing about those areas of your life which are hidden from others. That's going to be revealed in the Day of Judgment. And the second is the motives with which those very good things that one did, the motive with which he did it is going to be exposed. So finally, in the Day of Judgment, it says in verse 5, there are two things that are going to be very important. All that you did in the dark and the motives with which you did things. That's going to be fundamental. And since we don't know what that guy is doing in the dark, we don't know how that guy behaves at home, How he speaks to his wife, how he speaks to her husband, we don't know. Don't judge it. All you see is on the outside. They're all very polite and nice on the outside. Don't judge on the basis of that. You'll be 100% wrong. And you don't know the motive. That wonderful thing that person did. You don't know the motive with which he did it. He may have done it for money. He may have done it for honor. So don't judge. So we see there a new covenant person is more interested in his life in the dark than just in the outside. He's more interested in the motive with which he does something than the thing itself. He's very concerned. He judges himself every time he preaches, saying, Lord, with what motive did I preach? What, with what motive did I say that? With what motive did I crack that joke um, in my conversation? Was it to show myself? Was it for the glory of God? The Bible says, whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31 31. Do all for the glory of God. So if we understand this fundamental difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant, not quantity, but quality. Not the external life, but the inner life. If you are gripped by this, you have understood the fundamental difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant.